Hello. QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA plus audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA plus world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Real life is complicated. And complex and messy. If you're not prepared to delve into the messiness, then you're missing a trick because it's going to get messy. There's a clock on the wall and it's moving too slow. It's got hours to kill and a lifetime to go. And I'm holding my breath till I hear the last bell. Then I'm coming out hard and I'm giving him hell. I'm Jamie Wareham, and this week on Hashtag QuerryF. I am Dan Gillespie Sells, songwriter, composer, general show-off lead singer of The Feeling and writer of the musical that's taken the UK's West End by storm. In our season three finale, the story behind the soundtrack to Queer AF Life. changing world. The way we identify is constantly being challenged, not just by the people around us, but by ourselves too. And that's why Jamie, the 16-year-old from Sheffield in the north of the UK, whose career test says he'll only amount to being a forklift truck driver, is such a refreshing story to watch, enjoy, and for queers everywhere to see themselves in. The character Jamie is a 16-year-old who's out as a gay boy, but has decided that he wants to tell the world that he he actually dreams of being a drag queen. And he wants to do it by coming out at his school prom. And what's even better about this story? It's influenced by a real-life story, a real-life 16-year-old whose name is Jamie Campbell. Yeah, it's based on real-life Jamie Campbell's story, as told by the BBC Three documentary. Jamie. Drag at 16. In a few weeks' time, I'm planning to tell everybody at my end of school prom. Of course, I'm worried. Some people might be really nasty about it, but I want everybody to know at 16 years old, I want to be a drag queen. What we noticed about Jamie's story is that he was so sure of himself. Just seeing a kid with the kind of confidence that Jamie has, he's actually really self-aware. And I think that's something that that you don't often see in kind of queer theatre. You see people struggling all, all, all the way through with their sexuality and struggling with 
the idea of fancying other boys or the idea of this or the idea of and he doesn't really struggle with any of that stuff he's got an amazingly strong mum who's taught him well and taught him how to be proud of himself so when we meet jamie he's not in that place of of inner turmoil or whatever he has a slightly different journey which we give him internally which isn't the standard one and i think i would have liked to have seen that story when i was young because i think it would have given me a little bit of strength and dan's not alone in that Leighton Williams, who's recently stepped into Jamie's high heels, just like the character he now plays, grew up on a council estate in Bury, Manchester. I think when I was living in my council estate back in Bury, in Manchester, when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, if I would have seen a, a show like this and seen this story, it would have completely inspired me to, you know, be myself, be my true, authentic self, and maybe I would have felt a lot more proud and confident to be who I was earlier. The transformation Jamie goes through is unlike other gay stories you see. It's certainly not about coming to terms with his sexuality. Jamie is very much there already. But he does deal with some of the other inevitabilities of being out, gender-bending and queer on the small town streets of the UK. I guess it was quite lonely because I didn't know that anybody else was feeling the same way and if they did, they certainly didn't tell me. I didn't know what it was because I had no one to relate it to. Not even, I can't remember knowing any gay characters on TV. Like, it just wasn't a thing back then. So I felt like I was just probably just wrong in a weird way, so I just squashed it. Um, you know, I got by, so I wouldn't say I you know, had a bad childhood because of it, but I was just... I just turned into one of the lads. I was just one of the lads, and I just pushed it to the back of my brain um, until I made the move to London, and that's when I was like, oh, this is what's good? Cute. This is everything I ever wanted. My stage, my audience, my dancers. All eyes on me. You want to look? Keep looking. I'll be in drag tonight at legs 11, so come along if you dare. You're just a boy in a dress. Oh, Dean, a boy in a dress is something to be laughed at, but a drag queen is something to be feared, and I... I'm a drag queen! And what, what is it in particular about Jamie's character, his story, that like that you really love, that would have given you strength? Jamie is very... He's very much going to do what he's going to do, regardless of what anyone says. But he's also kind, and he doesn't want to trample over everyone else in doing that. So he's going to put himself at the centre of his own kind of story, but only to the degree in which it's not um, harming anyone else. And actually, he's very kind and very gentle to the people around him. Jamie is more than that. His effeminate identity is usually the butt of the joke, but not in this story. I haven't seen the story of an effeminate male character. I hadn't seen that story being told. I hadn't seen a strong, effeminate hero, either on the TV or in theatre or anything. I just hadn't seen that. You know, centre of the story, main protagonist, the hero of our story is an effeminate male. And I think we didn't, we hadn't seen that enough. You talked a little bit about how sort of Jamie's come to terms with his sexuality. Is that something that you struggled with yourself? I was very lucky. I had an unusual upbringing. I was raised by two women. So my mum's a lesbian. My mum's partner was my other mother. My uncle is an out gay man and has been my entire life. They were part of the civil rights movement, the, the LGBT rights and disability rights movement as well. I grew up going to pride marches when I was, you know, in a, in a buggy. 
So I certainly knew what being gay was. I knew that I was gay. I kind of, I didn't have, I didn't have the kind of role models out there that I would like to have had though. So at the same time as knowing it was okay to be gay, knowing it was fine to be gay, knowing I was going to be supported, which I'm very grateful for, I also didn't really see the kind of gay that I wanted to become out there in the media, in the mainstream. I just didn't see it um, enough. So I, I had some struggles around it, but nothing like the kind of struggles and difficulties that people still to this day have when they when they come out and realise that they're gay as a child, you know. And I think you do generally realise as a child that you're gay. I mean, that's that's the norm now, I think, is, is that people realise at least that they're different. Uh, I'm very grateful that, that my struggle was tiny compared to most people's. Most of my teenage years, I've basically been brought up by um, two lesbians, which is, it was just so normal for us. We're like this beautiful, dysfunctional, modern family. Like, we just, it's just me and my, you know, two gay moms. They came to my parents' even and everything. And... It's just in our house, anything goes. You know, they walk down and I'll be cooking my breakfast in my heels and my shares and, you know, I'll have a, something wrapped around my head or, you know, just this fabulous outfit and no one ever batted an eyelid and it was always celebrated. So I was just constantly used to being celebrated and having people around me that would love and support me. And I think that's really helped. This similarity is yet another layer of incredible quiddance to this story. Both Dan and Leighton growing up in a gay household one where they're accepted. It's something they both share with Jamie, whose mum in the story is so supportive. But both Dan and Leighton told me how very aware they are of just how lucky they were to have that support. But it didn't shield them from every queer woe out there. Or certainly disconnected from other gay men, particularly when I was young and I was dating, I found that gay men were struggling with all kinds of issues that I didn't understand and I didn't get and I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't figure out why everyone was acting so strange um and I've, I've learned a lot about it since since uh, becoming an adult and dating and and you know immersing myself more in my community I've I've you know I've, I can understand um a lot of the psychological issues that that gay people um have to deal with and I'm not immune from them myself you know I just have a slightly different story. I think for young effeminate guys of any kind, seeing Jamie just be his true self and not give a damn about what anybody thinks, you know, he does have layers to him, I must say, especially playing Jamie, you do think, you know, he does have his, his moments, you know, of his insecurities, and don't we all? But to be able to be out and proud is one huge thing, and I think that's one thing people should really um, look up to and be appreciative of and maybe learn from and hopefully be inspired by. So it's really weird. There was a point in which I was, I was kind of, you know, I didn't really want to come out because I felt like everyone would say, oh, he's got gay parents, therefore that made him gay. So I kind of didn't want to come out only because I wanted to prove prove them wrong <laughs> which is a ridiculous reason not to come out and the other reason was I, I didn't want to come out because I wasn't doing anything I wasn't dating anyone I wasn't seeing anyone I wasn't having sex so really essentially it just meant talking to your parents about who you fancy or what you fantasize about and that's not something I wanted to 
talk to my parents about. So there was an element of me slightly resisting the idea. Why should I have to come out? You know, and it's crap for a gay person. Like you have to come out all the time. You know, queer people have to keep coming out. It's really annoying. I just hate the fact that we have to keep coming out, but you get used to it after a while and you just kind of go, here it is, I'm gay, there you go. Drop it in the conversation, move on. But uh, at first, when you're young and you're self-conscious, it's still awkward. So I wouldn't say that I had major issues with coming out, but I did have a certain issue with the idea of people thinking that it was obvious that I was going to be gay. And I kind of wanted to be different. You know, when you're young, you want to be different. You want to stand out. I was like a teenager who wanted to who wanted to step aside from the status quo. I thought it'd be interesting if I was straight with gay parents. <laughs> I just wanted to be interesting, you know. Obviously, what uh, what's really interesting about the way you've written the story is it's inspired by Jimmy Campbell, but there's parts of you in it and there's parts of your co-writer in it as well. Is there a particular moment in the play that is very you? that is like a, a real emotional moment for you? There's a moment when, I mean, it's not so much an emotional moment, but the bit, one bit that particularly personally rings true to me is is the bit where Margaret, um, Jamie's mum, goes to see the teacher, is called into the teacher's office um, with Jamie, and uh, Margaret's best friend comes, um, uh, who's called Ray, and... Uh, the teacher's like, what are you doing here? And I used to go to the teacher's meetings with with both my mums. And the, that kind of look of confusion and that slight judgment and that slight, well, no wonder the kid's gone astray. He's got these two mums, you know. And I was never in trouble, but they, they used to try and pull me up because I wanted to have long hair and stuff like that. And it was against the school uniform rules. It was always stuff about the school uniform rules. I just had long hair at the back and, and they used to... Um, they told me that I wasn't allowed to do it and my parents were like, well, that's sexist because the girls were allowed to have long hair, so why isn't he allowed to have long hair? It literally, it's basically, yeah, a lot of it is my story to a certain degree. I think that when people come and see the show, they all see parts of their lives in the show as well. Even, even straight blokes have been dragged along by their wives, you know, and their other halves. After the break, more on the musical's universality as we discuss not only what it can tell us about gender and sexuality, but a multitude of 21st century identity conversations. Plus, we reflect on how it could just be the perfect antidote to weeks of hateful, quote-unquote, debate on exposing kids to LGBT issues. It's not even news. Shut up. <laughs> Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Hashtag QueerAF. If this is the first time you've listened, we're a project by National Student Pride that keeps our pride of conversation going all year round. We do that by commissioning students, graduates and LGBT plus producers to join me, Jamie Worm, in telling their most hashtag QueerAF stories. If you haven't yet, go back to the start of this season, 10 episodes ago, and listen to the episode called I'm a Gay Dancer, But I'm Not Happy About My Body. It's the perfect example of the kind of journeys our reporters go on. Martin stars the episode, Ashamed of His Body. But by the end has found a whole new perspective. So if you're enjoying today's show, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and help us spread the Queer AF mission by sharing it. Queer Stories, told by the LGBT plus community. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We're back. It's hashtag QueerAF. I'm Jamie Worm. This week, we're joined by everybody's talking about Jamie writer Dan Gillespie Sells and the current star of the show, Leighton Williams, to talk about the musical with an effeminate hero. And we do so just after the UK gets over a bizarre throwback to the 80s. We interviewed Dan and Leighton in the week, building up to a government vote on bringing in compulsory sex education which, by the way, was passed with over a 500 majority and opposed by just 21 lone MPs. This all alongside a media furor sparked by a small but vocal group of conservative Islamic protesters who stood outside a school that was teaching kids about the diversity of love and relationships that, surprise, surprise, can happen between two people regardless of their gender. For Dan, who grew up in a gay household during a time of a conservative policy called Section 28, which banned schools from talking about gay relationships, it was eventually repealed by a Labour government. Well, let's just say, right now, Dan is furious. So you grew up knowing that being gay was okay, so you came to terms with your sexuality. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. And I wonder how you felt watching all of the news about sex education in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm furious. I'm really furious about it. Back in the days of Section 28, one of the pieces of... of, uh, piece, one, of one of the things written into law was that they weren't allowed to talk about or promote the idea of gay families. They used the word pretended family. Um, and that was my family they were talking about. I mean, literally directly, the law was basically saying that this kind of pretended family is not a legitimate thing. And so I was told that my family didn't didn't count. Um, so, you know, we fought that back then and we won. And now some people are trying to bring it back, trying to bring back the idea of all of these ideas around gay people and you know infecting children with the idea of gayness taking away their innocence all of this hinting towards the idea of gay people as pedophiles i actually don't think the discussion is valid i don't think it's worthy i think a few hundred people outside of school kicking off it's not worthy of our debate it's not worthy of our discussion you know we we got probably more coverage of that than the million people marching against brexit you know that was a million people on the streets they gave the bbc gave more coverage to a few hundred bigots outside of school clanging on you know because the media love to jump on a kind of moral high ground and they love to jump on a kind of weird moral debate that is outdated 
that is not relevant and not worthy of our discussion. And I'm pissed off with the BBC for making such a fuss about it. And the papers, of course, the scum, you know, making a big old fuss about something that's not worthy of our debate. It's not a debate anymore. Shut up, move on. And I think what's interesting is that obviously everybody talking about Jamie came out three years ago now. So long before this debate rocked up in the newspapers over the last few weeks. But it's also the story that is almost the perfect antidote to all of this because Jamie's best friend is a Muslim and she doesn't care. Why was it important to have that as part of the storyline? Jamie's best friend being a Muslim girl, um, first of all, there's no reason why he wouldn't be best friends with the Muslim girl in the class because, you know, she's a bit of an outsider, but she, you know, there certainly is a large Muslim community in Parsons Cross, the estate in which um, Jamie lives. There's a there's a very mixed community. I kind of don't want to say that we deliberately made it multicultural because we kind of didn't. We just told the story in a multicultural environment. We weren't trying to bang a drum. We weren't really trying to make a political point. You know, Tom's best mate was a Muslim girl called Pretty. You know, when he was growing up, this is the writer. He just kind of wrote truth into the story. That's what we do. We just try and write truth. You know, we just go, okay, well, that feels true. That feels right. I've seen it. You know, there's nothing outrageous about it that happens all the time. Real life is complicated and complex and messy. And if you're not prepared to delve into the messiness of life, um, then you're missing a trick because it's going to get messy. And when you get down to, you know, class and gender and sexuality and gender expression, that's complicated stuff. And I think you have to just keep it complicated. Let it be complicated. Have the discussions. I think it's important because it just shows that it doesn't matter what your religion is, where you come from, we can all grow, we can all learn and we can all be accepting of each other's journeys and each other's stories. Leighton Williams, star of Everybody's Talking About Jamie. It's not exactly like it's a life choice, do you know what I mean? A religion is a choice, I feel, but a sexuality is not for for the for most. I know the odd person might say so, but listen, I'm talking about most of us. So... It, what really gets under my skin is when minority groups then try and push their hatred on other minority groups. I'm like, sis, you should know better. You should know better. Like, fair enough if you're still white, straight man. I get that because he's used to getting everything his own way. But if you're in a minority and then you're... It, it really baffles my brain because we got your back, like, I've got your back. So it does really frustrate me. And I see people shouting in the streets outside the schools and I just think, oh, my God, these kids don't have a chance. But you've just got to, we've just got to keep on keeping, keep on doing. And, you know, stories like this, imagine a, a Muslim kid come to see the show, whether they want to be an ally, whether they've got a gay best friend or whether they're gay themselves, whatever's going on, they can be like, wow, these two things can, we can live beside each other and we can be happy and we can be free. I think it's really inspiring for so many different people. Like everyone can relate. The other thing we can do, I think, other than kind of remind people about the, the, the kind of beautiful mix of, of, of um, cultures that we live in and how it's valuable, is actually to kind of get out there and meet people. I do think that the bigots fall away um, from their argument as soon as they are confronted with the reality of life. Um, if, if communities are isolated and kept away from each other, then um, artificial rifts exist and start to start to grow. Um, I do think that, that us living together is about 
um, not isolating communities. Last week, James Barr, host of a gay and a non-gay podcast, told us how exhausting he found being queer and gay was sometimes. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But speaking to Dan this week, we went one further in perhaps discovering why James, so many of you, and yes, me too, is feeling that pressure. And this is all coupled with yet more ridiculous media debates over young people's apparent apathy. The so-called snowflake generation that's more interested in filters and emojis. Well, as someone who finds social media exhausting and battles an addiction of being on them non-stop... Dan's words really rang true with me. Well, I think that the issues have become so complicated that I'm kind of, I understand exactly why it might seem like there's quite a lot of um, uh, uh, apathy, you know, amongst young people. Um, Like I say, when I grew up, we had very clear enemies and very clear goals. Um, You know, we, we didn't have our rights enshrined in law. Um, and so we had something really quite simple to, to, to fight for. I'm not sure that that's the case for young people now, that the, 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 the issues are so complex. And I think they're fighting for their own mental health at the moment. I think that young people are struggling with mental health issues. Um, and I think that, that um, they have so little hope and so, little, so, so few prospects for the future compared to the generations that came before them. Um, that I can understand entirely why apathy has kind of crept in to a certain degree. I think life is life is complicated for everyone. I think it's complicated for everyone now. I think it's more complicated for young people for different reasons, as well as just being gay. I think, you know, uh, kind of Instagram culture and the idea of living your best life all the time, having to be seen as getting it right all the time, you know, being perfect. And also always being kind of like the star in your story all the time is bloody exhausting. I don't know how young people do it. I'd, it all seems really tiring. You know, there was this, there was an element when I was growing up of just getting on with it and just being useful. Like actually just, just at the end of the day, be kind, be useful and don't worry too much about <laughs> the rest of it. You know, that, that was that was there was an element of that when I was growing up because we were part of a, a, a civil rights struggle. You know, we were trying to fight Section Twenty Eight. You know, the, the the community was pulling together over ideas around equal age of consent, Section Twenty Eight, trying to get equal marriage rights. You know, all of these kind of battles brought us together as a community. So I feel um, that we had a real focus in them days. You've talked before about like how people are obsessed about their identity. We are as well. What, why is that? Why are we so obsessed about identity? Well, because I think that, I think, okay, so I see it as there being two different poles, right? My mother grew up as a Catholic woman, working class, um, who had very low expectations from where she came up. She grew up in Tottenham as an Irish Catholic um, uh, sister of, of several brothers in a big Catholic family who lived in a castle house in Tottenham. And she had such low, she was given such low expectations. And she, to this day, can't really do anything nice for herself. She struggles with doing anything for herself. And everything she's ever done has been for someone else. So that's one end of the spectrum where, you know, you're, 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 you're struggling because you can only ever do things for others. 
I think there's another end of the spectrum, which has come about since kind of like greed is good Thatcherism in the in the in the eighties and nineties, and then through to kind of the the market wanting us to be basically you're worth it, you know, um, live your best life, you know, put it on Instagram, make sure you look fabulous, make sure you're always happy, and make sure that you are the center of your universe, right? There's the other end of the spectrum where you're actually not very good at doing things for other people. You're really great at looking after yourself, but that makes you equally miserable. There's a, there's a beautiful place in the middle where you know how to take care of yourself, but you can also take care of others around you. You're not obsessed with yourself, where, where it's crippling. It can be crippling to be at the center of your universe all the time. And that's a really hard thing to explain to people. I'm trying to explain it in a way, because I do think it affects our identity politics. For example, like my nan, if someone had a harsh word at her, right? If they if they said to her, someone basically had a nasty tone of voice in my nan, she would probably turn around and go, oh, someone's had a bad day. She wouldn't assume it had anything to do with her. She would just assume that it was something to do with that person having had a bad day. And the chances are it was that person having had a bad day. When probably if someone said that to me, I would turn around and go, who do you think you are talking to me like that? What did I do to upset you? What have, I, what have I done? Why do I deserve that treatment? And I'll put myself at the center of it instead of that other person. And that's equally wrong. You know what I mean? That, that, that also doesn't make any sense. And actually that makes me feel paranoid, makes me feel unhappy, makes me feel attacked. Chances are they just had a bad day, but that's the difference between generations. And I think there's a middle ground where you can, you can not always be the center of the universe, not always be like the most important thing in your life. There can be something else that's more important in your life, your friends, other people around you, how they feel. Um, and it's really relieving. It's actually really, um, it makes you feel really good. What would it have meant to you to see a queer person of colour doing such a big role on the West End like this? It would have inspired me and then some, I guess. I, it, I just, you know what, the other night, there's a little black boy in the audience. He was must have been about 10, 11. He was front row. And the way he was watching the show is like his eyes were just, he was beaming in every step he was watching me. And I just thought, that little kid, he's seen himself on stage for the first time, you know, wearing a school uniform like he wears a school uniform, same color skin as him, you know. It's not all about that because it, the story still told the same story you know, when John did it um, last year or whatever. But now another whole group of people get to really feel a part of this, which they might not have necessarily done before. And I think that's just a beautiful thing. So we can only stand. I don't want to say that identity is not important because it really is super important, especially if you're feeling attacked, especially if you are being attacked, and especially if you're not being recognised and represented. I think it's really important to get identity right. But... I also feel that it's a double-edged sword. So that if identity is something that you're using to defend yourself, it can also bite you back because it can also make you unhappy. It can, it can hem you in and it can fence you in and you can feel like you can't move. And it's something that some people feel like they have to get right. And I think that's not true. I don't think you have to get identity right. I think it can change. I think it needs to be fluid. I think it needs to be on your terms. And I think that you know, how important your identity should depend on the day. You know, one day you might feel like it's really important to assert your identity. And another day, you might just want to feel invisible. And that's healthy to just be invisible for a day and just go, it doesn't matter. 
call me what you like. It doesn't really doesn't matter today. You know, I think there's a healthy place to be, which is like a healthy middle ground between identity super important and identity is something to be laughed at and not important at all. And there's a really healthy middle ground and we've got to find that because that'll make us happy, I think. So that's the story. So that's our story. What's the lesson? But what's the lesson? <laughs> victory comes to those who put a dress on. <laughs> well, victory comes to those that put a dress on. Everyone's got quite strong identity um, at the beginning of the show. You know, they're very much like, I've got this point of view and I'm sticking to it. And toward the end of the show, everyone's identity is a bit looser. Jamie isn't so much a drag queen as, as the thing that he's told he can't be, which is just a boy in a dress. And that's fine. And the teacher loosens loosens up a little bit and realises that he is being real. He This is authentic. Um, so it's allowed, you know. And the bully realises that, God, he's not top dog anymore. And really that, that he probably should just go and have a dance with Jamie and relax. And, you know, and everyone's identity gets loosened off. And I think that's why the whole theatre erupts at the end and feels so happy. Like I say, the complicatedness of life, the complexity of life is allowed for a minute. We're allowed to be a bit messy. We're allowed to to overlap into each other's identities a bit and stories a bit. And it brings everyone together in a way. Once in a lifetime, there will rise a hero whose approaching footsteps will cause the earth to quake. Once in a lifetime, they'll baptize a hero in the blood he left in his wake. The legend of Jamie New. Oh, and as your host for Hashtag Query F, yes me, Jamie Wareham, before we sign off for season three of the show, there's just one last lesson from the musical I'd like you to take away. And don't fuck with a boy whose name is Jamie. <laughs> we are hashtag queer and so are you. Let's get the DJ down and set the record spinning. Go raise the roof up, no even higher. It's time to party. Preaching to the choir. Everybody's talking about with thanks to all the contributors this season. If you haven't yet, go back and listen to Martin Joseph, Jacob Edwards, Sebastian Hendra, Max Taylor, Cassie Galpin, Alice Taplin, and Patrick Ridden Morgan's episodes. For today's episode, thanks to Dan Gillespie Sells, Leighton Williams, and the team at Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And if you're desperate to see the story, but geography is getting in the way, even though it's staying in the West End and has plans to go on tour. Dan also told us the movie is very much in production. Just like season four of this show so stay subscribed on your podcast feeds and bring us back faster with ratings and reviews in apple spotify google podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen in share us on social media and tag in at student pride the whole reason we make this show to keep the pride of conversation alive all year round today's show was produced by me at jamie underscore wareham and to you the listener Thanks for being hashtag QueryF with us. We'll be back in your podcast feeds later this year. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 